There's the whistle. Second half, my three subs action from the Center Circle Studios. So, Brody, what are we going to name this? Is this the Hal Downing Christmas special? Is yeah. Is it a tender Carbignani Christmas? But, what, what are we going to name this? Well, Hal, Hal and Tony's Rogue's Christmas or something. <laughs> Don't put Hal down. I'm going to be honest time. with you. Uh, Hal came in here arms full of just stuff. I mean, this <laughs> this museum that he brought in with, with Memphis history when it comes to the soccer club anybody under the age of 35 would be in a nightmare now because we've got cassette tapes oh my god we've got newspaper clippings <laughs> and there you was guys only, had to tell me what that was i didn't even know what that and was when i started playing in uh, 72 there was one soccer field in memphis wilson field across from fox metals golf course that was it tony carvignani is here too man i'm telling you we got <laughs> so who's who what's what We'll deal with titling the show a little bit later on. Maybe maybe Hal and Tony can flip for it. I don't, you know, however they want to sort it out is fine. But it, it, it's uh, it's a thrill to have uh, two great guys here today. Of course, Hal Downing, who worked with the Memphis Rogues and has been so integral in Memphis soccer, is here, and he's the president of Financial Wealth Services, and he's helping bring us this holiday special. So I don't know if you want to call it the Hal Downing Holiday Special. No, we no. don't care. Tony Carbonell. No, we'll, Felice Navidad. Felice Navidad. Felice Navidad. Yeah. For everyone in Memphis. <laughs> And, and uh and for many of our listeners near the center circle studio you've known him he's been a fixture here now for over four decades uh former professional soccer player and uh, uh, uh current club coach tony carbignani is with us today gentlemen happy holidays uh merry christmas happy new year in advance because some people might listen to this after the new year so we'll wish everybody a happy new year as well Are you guys doing okay today yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm Tony's fine. translator, actually. So, <laughs> actually, uh, <laughs> actually, first, first, thank you for the invitation, and I'm very glad to be here with you guys talking about soccer. Tony's been here for yeah. so long, though. I I understand every word he's he saying, <laughs> and I don't know if that's because of the eggnog that I've been drinking before the show. Uh, but yeah, t- n- no translator needed today. Actually, I'm still Tony- working on my southern accent, <laughs> <laughs> y'all, y'all. But in fact, what Tony was here before Hal, and and Tony just whispers, says, "Listen." Hal can talk for days. I'll help you figure out what the hell he's talking about. I'll, trans- I'll translate for Hal. And, and this is great. Now, and we're going to talk a lot about Memphis Rogues, Memphis Americans, uh, and we'll talk about uh, a whole host of, of things here. But And, of course, a lot of people don't forget that Tony came right at the, toward the end of the Memphis Rogues tenure here in Memphis in 1979. And we're going to talk about that and, and talk about um, – Talk about his playing days with the Cosmos as well, but your playing days go well before then when you're a little boy. Uh, tell us a little bit about your soccer story, where you grew up, and, and talk about your love of the game. Well, first of all, you know, I grew up when I was born in Argentina, Buenos Aires. I played over there you know, for several teams of youth soccer. Then I became professional and when I was around 19, 20 years old. Played in Huracán Independiente Youth Club. Then I played in San Telmo. It was a second division team in 1976. Right we after won. World War II. Yeah. <laughs> we, won the, we won the league, and then we elevated to play, you know, first division in 1976. Well, after one year in Argentina, first division, um, Barcelona, Ecuador, get my service, and I was trading all the way there for talking about $25,000 in 19. 76. Wow. That's big that's, money back then. That's what big money by then. Yeah. yeah I stayed in Ecuador for three years. Then I make a move to, to New York for the Cosmos. They saw me play over there. When Cosmos did a tour from South America in 19, it was 78. 
and do a tour thing, saw me play, and, you know, they they decide to bring me here to the United States. Cosmos, an incredible globetrotting team. Want to step back just a little bit to your Argentina days. Who did you follow growing up? What, what team, what players were were magical to you? Well, um, in that time, you know, uh, I I played for Huracan, who's a first division club. That's in my my heart, that team, that's my club. A lot of people sometimes say, Boca Junior, River play with the two biggest clubs, but my my club is uh, Huracan. Well, I mean, I have players who play national team, like Miguel Angel Brindisi, Carlos Bannington. This is a player who play in the same club I play, and they 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 had the opportunity to be on first division team when they were 19, 20 years old. Did you ever have a chance to have a crack at Boca Juniors or River Plate? Oh yeah, we we play we play against them. Matter of fact, one time we beat Boca Junior three one. No kidding. The, wow. Yeah, in the Huracan Stadium where we was you know playing home because our our stadium was small, and when you play Boca River those club, you need to have a bigger crowd. Yeah. How far did your your supporters have to go to that match, and how many people? Do you any idea who who went to that? Because I know like those things get loads. crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, no, not really. I mean, you know, uh, because in Buenos Aires you have at least twelve between 12, 14 teams, yeah. then play in first division. Most of the time, you know, you travel in bus or, you know, or people, you know, travel in car. Or sometimes people walk because Buenos Aires is a big, big city, you know. Yeah, huge, huge city. Tony Carbignani with us, Hal Downing with us. And we're talking about Tony's time in Argentina, but then you said you went to Ecuador with uh, with Barcelona of, of Ecuador. Tell us a little bit about that time before getting picked up by the Cosmos. What what position were you playing, and uh, you know how were things going for you at that time when you got when you got scouted out? Yeah, when well when I went from Argentina to Ecuador, you know, uh, playing Barcelona. Barcelona is uh, located in Guayaquil. It's one of the biggest clubs in the whole country, and very rivalry with Emelec. But in the meantime, you know, you have teams in Quito, La Liga de Quito, Universidad Católica. For you guys, some different name because I said don't name in Spanish. But, yeah, I, I really enjoy to play in Ecuador, eh, especially in Barcelona. What amazed me in that never happened in Argentina when I went to Ecuador, play from the Barcelona eh, club, you know, everybody who was going to the stadium, they were wearing the yellow jersey. Mm. And you talk about 1977 where any places they used to do that. Now, it's normal, it's regular, you know, sure. everywhere, Euro, wow. South America. But well back, it was amazing for me to see, you know, 40, 50, 60,000 people in the stadium, everybody wear the yellow Barcelona jersey. Yeah. yeah. You know. So, 1978, 79 rolls around, and you're getting courted by the Cosmos. Now, we're all four very handsome men, and we're used to being, you know, approached by attractive women and being wooed. <laughs> how do you, Tony Carbignani, how are you approached by the Cosmos? Who comes to uh, meet with you and give you the pitch to come to New, to, uh, New York City, or I guess East, East Rutherford, New Jersey, to play? Yeah, well, the New York, in 1978, they went on tours to South America, and then play us, then play Barcelona when I was there. We tied again the one-one. Then see me play and look like they like the way how I was playing because a few months later they contact me, you know, to come to to New York. Was Eddie Formani the coach? All the way here. Eddie Formani the coach. No, when I come to Memphis for New York, uh, uh, Charlie Cook was the no, coach. No, no, the Cosmos coach. Oh, the New York Cosmos. Yeah, Eddie Formani was the yeah, coach. Yeah, He's yeah. the one that recruited you. Yeah, yeah. So how does that go? I mean, what, is, what, what does someone say to someone that's 
talented and hey, come join this very high profile team. I mean, what's what's the scoop? Is it the money? Is it the prestige? Yeah, because it- I mean, at that point, you would be I not not to put you down or anything. You you would just be like one of the guys, you know, you wouldn't be like that superstar because the yeah. cosmos was just full of every, like, every position, was every a position. It was yeah. like Galacticos, but for New York Cosmos, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, correct. Well, I mean, when when I was in Ecuador, they they told me, you know, um, I have an offer for New York if I would like it to come to New York to play for the Cosmos. And the other thing I was thinking, you know, to go back to Argentina, and I decided to come to America because. Soccer were grown here and play with all these, you know, players who majority play in the national team, you know. Right. I made my decision, well, um, I will go to, to New York, to United States and see, you know, you know how soccer, you know, is, is over there. Right, right. But, you know, when, when I come to New York, it's funny because I signed the contract, was two days in New York. This was in February. It was very cold. <laughs> and I don't have no winter club because in Ecuador it was a kill. It's a tropical sure. town, right. and I don't have no... What the no hell is snow? Out. I know. And I was Ice, a, a, why is it in my drink? A, a baseball, <laughs> this is terrible. A baseball cap's a winter coat, basically, in, yeah. in Ecuador, yeah. I was there for two days, yeah. because on the contract, I say, hold on, not going to buy winter clothes here, because the team is in Bahamas, Freeport, for preseason, and you go straight over there. I say, okay, well. Then, then, then I went to Bahamas, I meet all the players, Ginalia, Bikembawi, you know, Carlos Alberto. And, and that's how... So meeting in paradise helps. Yeah. To say oh, the yeah. least, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, for, um, the Como was a fair club because it was owned by Warner Brothers. Right. Sonny Warwin. You know, yeah. It's a huge company. You know? Yeah, I mean, they, they had a jet and they went all over the world. China, it Japan. Was. I mean, it was like Harlem Globetrotters. Before uh, the season start and after the season, the Como was traveled all over all over, all over the country. All over the world. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're right. All yeah. Over, all over the world. Yeah. yeah. So, 79 rolls around, and you're with the Cosmos, and uh, the season gets underway, and, and, and you get quite a few matches. What was it like to play alongside Giorgio Canalia, to play with Franz Beckenbauer, to play with Carlos Alberto? How was the chemistry of jumping in there for you, coming in as the new guy? Well, you know, uh, when I come over to New York, I feel like uh, if I was there, okay, and they brought me over, you know, to play for the Cosmos, I feel like I might be doing something good that might something I'll be liking, you know, and I start to feel like uh, one of them. I never see, I never feel minority because I'm not playing the World Cup, but you know, sure. I feel very positive, you know, I can contribute, you know, with the with the team. And to be honest with you, uh, everybody was very humble. I mean. Very open. I mean, we were looking for one thing, you know, to win the NESL. That's the first thing, you know, the Cosmos always look, you know, to be very competitive and be the first top club, you know, not only in the United States, but all around the world. Because they were still in their prime. I mean, there's uh, uh, a lot of the teams had like one superstar player, you know, George Best was out, out west, and but the Cosmos had. Every single position was a world-class player. That's so, what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. that it, it was just superstar after superstar after superstar. And then, on top of that, well, you didn't play for the national team, which I I find that amazing, you know, even though, I mean, you know, you didn't play for the na- the Argentinian national team? No. No, I left Argentina when I was a 21-year-old to Barcelona. Huh. And there, I went on my way. See, what happened in Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, 
you have a lot of players year after year. You get some new players coming up. In in that time, if you know what playing in your country, yeah, it was very hard to find out if it was in Ecuador, Chile, or Afghanistan. Or I mean, you know, in that, know. that time, you know, you have so many players. I mean, I know Brazil was just still the powerhouse that was Brazil, uh, Brazil in, that na- in that national team. I'm talking about World Cups and, and things like that. But, I mean, you could have given them a run for their money. <laughs> oh, you know, I always was expecting maybe I can get a phone call. You know, but when yeah. you, in that time when you was out of the country, you know, very much everybody who out of sight, out of mind, kind of thing. They, they was in home. They were playing the locally. Yeah, and even to this day, I guess with maybe with the exception of maybe Messi, a couple of other guys, there's still a mentality in Argentina and other nations about that, right? That they want the homegrown the home talent grown. to play within the borders to make the national team, right? I mean, you have to. They 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 make exceptions for maybe a few. Is that a fair statement to make? Well, on this day, they change a lot because include. Uh, besides Argentina, Brazil, Uruguay, you have more players than playing Euro than play the country or when they play in their own country because money-wise. Yeah, the right. market was open tremendously. Yeah. This, you know, like it used to be before. Before, you used to play for, almost for the love of the game. Sure. Right. And a lot of us today, we coaching kids, we coaching professional, or some people, they already retired. But, you know, majority of players now who playing in Euro, they play here, I think they're safe for life because the money market is unreal. TV, sponsors, I mean, you know, it's changed. It's changed, changed a lot. Yeah. Let's, let's bring Hal in because uh, Hal, of course, was with the Rogues from basically day one, was there through the 78 season. 79 comes along, of course. Tony's with the Cosmos. You're with the Rogues. A bit of a long season there for the Rogues in 79. What's happening in Memphis before we get to where you two guys intersect and meet? Uh <clears throat> well, I mean, the, the, the genesis really was uh, – uh, I brought a, a scrapbook today, but uh, I read an article in the paper when the, the when the franchise was awarded, and it was a picture of uh, Bill Mark and Rudy Schiffer uh, at a hotel, and, and I was 21, 22, playing for Memphis State at an intramural level. I wasn't calling – I just wanted to work for the team. I knew I didn't – I wasn't world-class player enough for that. So I got Rudy on the phone in his room, and I said um, – uh, Mr. Schiffer, I'd like to get a job with the Rogues, and he said, "Who, who is this?" And I said, "Hal Downing," and he said, "He said, kid, we're in the hotel. We don't have an office yet." He said, "You know, keep reading the paper and come by and see me." And so when I went by, he said, "Look, the NASL requires that each team have a general manager, PR director, and marketing director. You're looking at all three because the owner is kind of cheap. I can't pay it, but start the booster club, and I'll give you a commission if you sell some tickets." And I said, "Okay." So that's that's how I started with them, but I was with them all three years. So we got the booster club started, and you know the the, the first season uh, we I think we won a couple of games, uh, started getting a little negative press, and same thing in the second year. And then uh, Harry Mangurian, uh, that was the owner, uh, sold the team to buy the Boston Celtics, and uh, he sold the team to Avern Fogelman, Fred Smith, Willard Sparks, Frank Watson, attorney and uh, Tom Dittmer out of Chicago. And, and Avern Fogelman was the uh, owner of the Memphis Chicks, so he was the general partner of the partnership. And and he pretty much ran the team, but Dean Jernigan was the one that he put over the Rogues and the Chicks. So the third year, Dean hired me to work as an employee for the Rogues Community Relations Director, which I drove a yellow van around. We had Coke dispensers in the back, and I'd have to go in the locker room every day and say, 
hey, guys, we got a clinic, and they're all running away from me, you know. <laughs> I said, no, no, this one's got a keg of beer. Okay, well, I'll oh, do that hey. one, you know. <laughs> when Aaron Fogelman and Fred Smith came in, the first two years, I mean, we had to beat the doors down to get any support. And then when Mr. Fogelman and Fred Smith came in, it was just go see this guy, pick a check up, boom, 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 boom. So, uh, you know, we, we had about fifteen to 17000 at the Liberty Bowl. But the third year, the MISL had just started the year before, and they were having big success in St. Louis. And the NASL decided, well, you know what, we're going to we're going to try this indoor as well because right. they're having success. So he buys the team, and before we played in the summer of '80, we played in the inaugural season indoor at the Mid South Coliseum. Now I had never seen an indoor game myself. Right, none of us had, and. We sold out every game. I mean, it yeah. was incredible. We just went to the, well, the Coliseum was a, was a fun spot. Well, Daryl May was there, and we said, "Okay, uh, keep the dash of boards from the hockey team." We <laughs> we we Aaron got some uh, astroturf. We rolled it down. Yeah. We sold the panels. And uh, well, the joke was whenever he went to the to one of the indoor games at the Coliseum, we always joked that you just rolled the astroturf over the hockey rink. Like that, the ice. Was well, there wasn't. No, the, the, they, they melt the ice first. But, but I, I want to tell you, uh, that's this article on Sports Illustrated. Uh, Aaron was in there. I mean, we had. Well, we went to the championship game, but we yeah. saw it, it was louder inside there than a Memphis State Louisville basketball game. If you remember those days, yeah. this game was louder because Mr. Fogelman would have him play that Memphis Tennessee song just over and over and over, and so we. We really thought, you know what? We sold this thing out. So when we go into the outdoor season, we're, we're going to double. We're going to double the attendance. Right. And we had season ticket uh, forms at the last game on every seat. First three games rained at the yeah. Liberty Bowl. Yeah. So <laughs> was that a big sell point, though? The Liberty Bowl and then the Coliseum—they're right next door to each other, and you're going to be like, and you can know, could bring a potential player. Um, like Tony up here and go, hey, by the way, this is where you're going to be playing A, and this is where you're going to be playing yeah. B, and this is where you're going to live, you know? Right. And w- was that a big sell point? Like, how was that in recruiting? Because that had to have been a huge sell point, right? Well, you know, the thing is, the league only required that you have five Americans on the roster, and they only required that you have two players playing in the game. Two and of which are three One of, of them is the goalie. The They'd always throw one American in the goal. And so then, then the other guy <laughs> would be. That explains a lot with our goaltending. And, yeah. and then we throw the other American to follow Tony around. You know, hey, just just do what he's doing. You know? Shine his shoe. <laughs> he gets yes, sir, up. Mr. Dees. <laughs> Hal Downing's joining us and Tony Carbignani on the we haven't titled this yet, but we'll figure out it. We'll figure, to heck with it. We'll There's figure out snow a in there somewhere. Right. So Hal has gotten us up to the NASL indoor season, and we're going to catch up with Tony on his timeline to catch him up. Uh, he was with the New York Cosmos in 1979. So um, playing in midfield, did you have a lot of opportunity to try to link up with Giorgio Canalia? Of course, for him, it, sh- it seemed like playing in the NASL was like shooting fish in a barrel. His goal scoring rate was incredible coming over from Lazio, from Serie A, comes over, scores a ton of goals. What were your experiences with him and with uh, Carlos Alberto, with Beckenbauer? What was it like to share the pitch with them? Um, Greg experience because uh, in that time I was 26 years old. I was on, on top of my my age, top of my play because you know, for soccer players, best age is between 25 28 years old, you know. But uh, but yeah, yeah, tremendous experience. Like I said before, I mean, you know, this player, they was very humble, very welcome to everyone who was coming to, to the team, especially for the first year. But, uh, you know, I mean, 
uh, I, I start thinking a little bit, you know, about those those years. Uh, I mean, my best thrill was when we played the Argentina national team in a exhibition game at the Jan Stadium in Medellin. All right, let me think about the timeline there. If that's late 70s, did you play against Maradona? Yeah, Maradona was playing. No kidding. In that, in that, well, Maradona at that time was 19, 19 years old. Okay. He not played in the World Cup 78 where Argentina won the World Cup. Right. That's why in the 79 they went to Europe, and before go back home, Argentina stopped in the United States, especially in New York. I think they were going shopping the players, <laughs> and they decided, you know, to have the friendly game. It was 80,000 80, people in the Giant wow. Stadium. You know, and we only lost the game one nothing in the last minute of the game. Is there a hand Pas- of God? No hand of God in that <laughs> no, one? No, no hand of God. Pasarela scored on the... I want to add goal. something as a spectator, though, because, you know, when I watch Tony play, uh, you know, on television they with the Cosmo, I think your height, you, you, were, you were taller than the average player. But I really equated him, if you're a golf fan, he, he was like the Ernie Els of soccer because yeah, for, tall and thin. Yeah, and Tony, Tony's really tall. If you've never met Tony in person, Tony walked in and I was like, "Hi!" <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, as tall as he was, he was smooth as silk on the field. I mean, yeah. just no pressure, just doom, doom, doom. I mean, it was it was incredible to watch him play. Seventy nine, of course. the The goal for the Cosmos every year was to win soccer bowl. Fell a little bit short that year, right? Yeah, they did. We lost again Vancouver White Cup, and then the, what does Canada know about soccer? They Damn Canada! <laughs> <laughs> then, then the White Cup uh, play again Tampa Bay Rodies, okay. and you know Vancouver ending to win the the Super Bowl. It was, I tell you something, um, it was a a great thing, very good thing between Vancouver, Tampa, and Cosmos. Either one can win the league this year. Was it Leonard Dozy that was white caps? I'm trying to remember the guy that played with them that was we, so Willie, Willie Johnson, he yeah. was the Scottish uh, left wing. You know, he was one of the top incredible players, you know, played for, for Vancouver. Okay. All right. So, 79 ends. So, how did you end up in Memphis? The plane get diverted and you were like, uh-oh. Well, <laughs> I guess I, I'll take a look around. Well, Fogelman brought the franchise and they want to have a very stronger team and I believe they work out things with the Cosmos. And the Rose, I believe, in 1978 was one of the last places in NESL. Yes. And that gave the right to pick the first choice for the, <laughs> the draft. For college. House, house base oh, was, yes, we the were draft. last place. <laughs> right. On the draft, and they chose to do that trade. And I believe Don Eber from St. Louis, oh, okay. young player. Yep. Went to New York from St. Louis University, and I come from New York to to Memphis, and I think there was some other trade in there on the future. And I remember Ebert was very good for St. Louis Steamers and MISL too. He was he was a very good indoor soccer yeah, player. Yeah, but in your right. own right, to be fair, it seemed like you took to indoor soccer in Memphis like a like a duck in water. That you had a really great season, uh, scored several goals, and I'm guessing you're thinking, hey, this isn't so bad. Oh yeah, when I come to Memphis, um, I come to visit Memphis for New York, and I went back home for the holiday. Yeah. And before the holiday, talk about around the 15th of December, Rudy Schiffer called and said, you need to come over because we play indoor soccer. Had you ever played indoor before? No. But, but, <laughs> Futsal? Uh, 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 Futsal in Argentina when yeah. we grew up, you know. And now they call it Futsal, you know, indoor soccer. But it's funny because... I say to Rudy, say, I'm not playing, I play outdoor. 
Yeah. <laughs> they, they put George Berrio, who was another Argentinian player with the Rose, to talk to me and try to convince me he need to come over because I'm on the contract. Well, I flew to, to Memphis and we played in the Coliseum because the year before, you know, was no NSL indoor soccer. Right. This was the first year, December 1979, when the season started. And that's how I come to Memphis. You I, know, I got to ask, when you flew back to Argentina, though, the, the fans all asking, you know, oh gosh, you know, New York has to be great, you know. Memphis? What's in Memphis? Elvis. Yeah. What, what did you tell him besides Elvis? Like, what, what, what did you tell him it was here, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's one of the things with this NESL. You know? I mean, like Memphis, like Tampa Bay Road, like Tulsa Rightness. Yeah, but Rutgers. Tampa Bay, you know, you're like, oh, I'm like, a spit, I spit at them on, on the beach, you know? It, they, you know, Tampa's yeah. No, I, I understand what you say. It's, at it's, least we were better than Tulsa. It, well, yeah. <laughs> hey, look at that. In fact, that should be the city slogan. And at least we're better than Tulsa. Yeah. It, it was, it was, a, it was a big change, you know, for me. But, you know, yeah. still, you know, I play in pro, you know, I have a contract. I mean, I come to the United States to, to, to play soccer and, you know, and I just make, make a move and make a good decision. I think, I think I make the best decision of my life because my two boys, Dominic Marco, they're born here in Memphis. They're American, you know, and that's what I have right yeah, now. Yeah, you know, I'd like to touch on, you know, because of the immigration situation in this country today, I wanted to, you know, ask him real quick because that was a big part of getting the players. If they, if, if, if they could give you the green card was more important than money. Yeah, and I think that was part of, part of the thing to get you here and a couple other players on the team as well. But you married a girl from Memphis, I think. Didn't you? Yes, yeah. correct. Yeah. Right. You know how to you but, know how to grow them here, buddy. But Tony had already <laughs> applied for his U.S. citizenship, uh, so we've got a little connection there with uh, with your current wife. Oh yeah, she got yeah. stranded yeah. down there. So yeah. that was. Fun. I mean, I mean, well back, you know, like um, Hal mentioned before, on the roster you need to have two American players playing the field. In that time, you know, soccer was new in America. Yeah, there was a lot of foreign players. I'll tell you something. The NSLE was tremendously, very, very strongly because you have players from Chicago, uh, San Jose Airquake, you know, I mean, George Best. I yeah. mean, I mean, the best players in the world were playing in America. Right. I mean, that was a big factor in the 70s and the 80s. I mean, the league was tremendously. What happened for soccer, football, all over the world, they were new, you know, and there was no television. Right. I mean, if you want to watch soccer, you need to go to the stadium. Well, the only game that was broadcast in 78 and 79 was the Soccer Bowl. You, you had no broadcast. And Jim McKay of ABC Sports announced it. And But that was the only game you saw. Yeah. Unless you wanted yeah. to watch public television, right. Channel 10, Soccer Made in Germany. That was it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was all there yeah. was. Yeah. Very much so. Okay, so we so you 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 have indoor and then 1980 outdoor. By the way, when did you guys first meet? Do you recall the first time y'all met? Um, I know that y'all go back a long way. Uh, Tony and I. Yes. Well, when he when he came here, uh, yeah. you know, the first two years, uh, I was president of the booster club, but also I was selling group sales to companies. But the third year, they actually hired me as an employee, and that's Tony came in. I was director of community relations. We did clinics and. Took them all around town and all that. So that's when we met. Really, was in '79 when he came yeah. here. Yeah. So that was BC in '78 before Carbignani. Yes. Basically. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So did you when you saw how walking in the office, you're like, 
uh, I need to head to the bathroom or something. He's going he's to want me to go to a clinic or <laughs> something like that. I'm telling you, that's exactly how I had an office in there. It was painted yellow with the banners, and, and they would they would come. They Well, first of all, they would always give me some grief. You know, They'd say, well, do you think that shirt looks good today that you're wearing? I'm like, yeah, what's wrong? And then they'd just walk off. And, <laughs> and I said, hey, I got some clinics. And they were like, I see you. We got to go. I'm telling you this much. Uh, Rudy Schiffer, who was the general manager, you know, uh, he had a people work in the front office. It was very... Very nice people, but we make everybody who was coming for all the country, all the state, feel very, very comfortable. We have we have a great time, you know. Oh, really, really. Yeah, very How was that language time. barrier? Uh, it worked good for the British players, especially because I can remember our clubhouse was TGI Fridays, and and the the girls would come up and they have the British accent, and they would say, "Oh well, do you all have?" Blue jeans in England? Well, as a matter of fact, we do, Last, Sit over here. Come here. <laughs> it was like the Beatles. I mean, yeah. I'm not telling you, man. It was just that. It was amazing because, you know, a lot of people in Memphis would say, I love your accent. Yeah. They would love my accent with my broken English in that time. And I still tried to work in, you know. Still not, it's still not working. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but it's only know, been 40 years, with, Tony. You're with, still, the British, yeah. with the British guy. You know, it was the same thing. You know, people right. in Memphis would say, I love you, Asher, where you from? And when you were mentioned, you know, yeah, I play for the Memphis Row. Oh, wow. I mean, because Memphis in that time, in the 80s, it was a very small town, oh. and everybody know each other. I mean, Oh, sure. Well. well, that's why I like to it joke about amazing. Memphis. It's a big, small town. town. Yeah, yeah, it's the biggest, it's a big city in a small town. It's a big small town. Correct, yeah. correct. So how did 1980 go? I, I remember we were, if we had gotten a shutout against the yet. Houston... Go to hell. Just want to put right, that anyway. in there. <laughs> anyway, for, for the grown-ups in the room, I have this question for you guys, for, for Tony and Hal. Um, how did 1980 go? I know we were just one shutout away from making the playoffs, that yeah. Houston game with Tony Field where he got on his knee and just kind of nosed the ball over. But it seemed like that was just a fun year, and you guys had Paul Child, Paul Cannell, Tony Carbignani, uh, among, and of course, Bob Stetler. It seemed like that was a fun group. Uh, how did your one year of outdoor with the Rogues uh, go? Well, I think that was the best the best season ever for the Rogues here in town. Unfortunately, you know, we had the news in the end of the season, you know, they were selling the team to Canada and Calgary. But uh, that year it was... And Charlie uh, Cook was the coach. Correct. Right. And attendance-wise, it was really, really good too. Yeah. Indoor and outdoor. I mean, what looked like everybody was, everything was picking up soccer in Memphis. But, you know, unfortunately, business wise, you know, they sold the franchise to, to, to Canada and everybody all. But what's interesting is, you know, at that time, it was a bad reflection on the ownership, Fogelman and Fred Smith, one year and you're gone. However, mm-hmm. within two years, the league folded. So Aaron, I think, saw the painting on the wall and, uh, Sold it to Nelson Scalbania that had a piece of the Edmonton Oilers where Gretzky played. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like it was sold a year later. The entire league collapsed a couple entire of years. Collapsed. See, their, their, yeah. their plan from a marketing standpoint was if we can get the young kids excited about the game in two or three years, they're going to be ticket buyers. Well, do but what we saw at the Coliseum, a lot of kids there. But they were not in the stands. We gave out these little soccer balls, and they were in the concourse playing while the game was going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, 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 the pro- I believe the problem of the NHL was not television games. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that huge. Lack of, that lack of the TV deal 
led to all TV contracts back then. I mean, it was just the NFL and Major League Baseball, NBA, you know, hockey wasn't even televised very much. And, uh, you know, the money. But those were crap deals anyway. Right. I mean, the NFL TV deal, honestly, uh, was. Garbage. But um, I got to tell you, the thing the thing I was impressed with. The original. I they had the right idea when they started the NASL because they played in the major, in the big stadiums. Yeah. That's the problem, except for the Cosmos. Uh, you know, you're playing in 50, 60,000 seat stadiums and you're getting the eight or 10,000. Now the league, they, they're building their own stadiums right. like Halley. Sta- you know, you're going into 10,000 seat stadiums. Mm-hmm. But we were shooting for the moon, and it just we were we were ahead of ourselves, you know. I think I, I got to ask just um, the current state of soccer, where the MLS is, where the USL is. What is your opinion? What is your take on those leagues now moved in uh, from the NASL and and that eye test? Well, I mean, soccer changed, you know, after so many years. But the, the MLS, they have really, really a good a level of soccer. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I I compare a little bit, you know, with Europe, with the, they try to be a rivalry with Mexico. I believe, you know, they're close to Mexico. You know, yeah. Uh, I mean, you can see, you know, teams from MLS, you know, competing in the Concacaf. Right. You know, I mean, the the, the level the level really really good. I, I I'm very pleased to see after so many years, you know, so many kids, boys and girls playing soccer. And the sport keep growing, growing in America. You know, it's no stopping. We, the NASL was, a, you know, before our time, but I really think what catapulted it is when we had the World Cup in the United States. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that really brought it on, you yeah. know. And, and we're yeah. going to be the next one, two countries. It's us in Canada, I think. And yeah. Mexico in uh, yeah. 2026, Mexico. yeah. It right. stays in North America for like three World Cups, I think. So. It's pretty incredible because uh, the, the kids that were watching Tony play are now the ones that are coaching their kids, and you have another generation that's now more educated, more savvy. They know what good soccer is, not just if you fall behind, kick it harder, <laughs> right. as 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 I once learned on the purple team. Right, <laughs> but it's it's a totally different generation now. As as Tony said, and I think it's paying dividends here, and plus, it seems like fiscal responsibility. I mean, these expansion fees that Charlotte just gave what over three hundred million to join yeah. the MLS. This is big money that's flowing into soccer now. Right. Well, you know, the, uh, for, on the youth perspective in Memphis, you know, when I started, I played for the kickers. Tony, when he retired, played for the very first club with Richard Boot that they paid their coaches. And that was a big thing. I mean, yeah. you know, that's been his full-time job since he retired. Right. I mean, Tony Field retired and went to work for a metal company. You know, I mean, right. but Tony's – Coached thousands of kids here in the last. Yeah, I start, how many years? Seventy I, I years you've been coaching. <laughs> Twenty twenty-eight years. I retired after finishing my, my last season soccer in Chicago for the Power. Was indoor soccer. In nineteen ninety-one, I started you know working with Richard Wood, Memphis Football Club. Because Richard after retired for Memphis American, where they was here in town for three years, and they moved the franchise to Canada to Las Vegas, sorry, right? To Las Vegas. Yeah, correct. Um, Richard decided to start coaching and he created his own club. And when I retired, you know, I started working with him until until today. He's he's been wearing sweatsuits for forty <laughs> years now. I don't, I've never seen you in a tie. Twenty a year coaching. You got him on now. <laughs> uh, use use a coaching kid. Use soccer. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Richard Boot, let's talk about the Memphis Americans for a few years. Uh, three years in the eighties. Uh, after a little bit of time away from the NASL, the MISL comes in. 
you're an integral part of that with Richard Boot, Bill Michelo, Helmut Dudek, and so many. Um, it looked like you guys were enjoying that, and you always had a pretty decent team out there. Can you talk a little bit about your three, well, actually four years if you count Las Vegas. Can you talk about your MISL days? Uh, and then I want to ask you about the team that you went to after that. But how was the time with the Americans? Stay in the man. <laughs> yeah, well, the Americans, uh, they decided to bring a franchise to Memphis because they remember in 1980, the Rose, they were filled out the stadium. And the league feel like uh, uh, hey, you know, money there. Memphis yeah, need to right. have a franchise in the soccer because look, look the roads they were packed the stadium. Right. Why not? You know. Yeah. In fact, Hartford is the franchise that the Memphis group bought. I believe it was Athletes in Action or yes, someone Kyle like that. Rowe Jr. Correct. And yeah. they brought the team here and had to rename it because if you're a Christian group, you probably don't want the logo of Satan to represent your <laughs> soccer team in Hellions. Probably not the best idea, <laughs> not right? The best idea in the Bible, though. Yeah. Just throw that out yeah. there. Yeah. So okay, so you have you have a a, a big fan following there. Uh, that was fun. It was very disappointing. The last season, I know Kyle had had coached the team, and then the team moved on to Vegas. You were there for a, a year, but then you moved on to the Baltimore Blast. And I have a very important question. You may need even to defend yourself, Tony, because just a few episodes ago, we had a guest in here who was an MISL referee named Don DeWeese, who says he sent you off in a match when you played for Baltimore. Uh, I guess for persistent infringement, and and you said you can't throw me out of the game. I'm from Memphis. <laughs> True or false? I was considered him my friend. <laughs> after after Takes that you day, a long time to know who your friends are. <laughs> after that day, you know he don't become my friend anymore. That's why. That's why I not got to go and buy donut to be. <laughs> No, the donuts aren't really, really that good, are yeah, they, Tony? That's just kidding. I mean, you know. Uh, well, what happened, you know, I was in Baltimore that time, and we were playing. Matter of fact, we were playing. Power would play five against four. And somebody took a shot, defended the black, and the ball came in my hands. You know, and he called the handball, you know, in the MISL indoor. That was a yellow card, two minutes. Okay. And he sent me to the penalty box. And I said, guy, and this was national television, you know, and that, and that was the referee. But, um, you know, that was part of the, you know, little history, him being the field referee from Memphis, and I've been playing from Baltimore, former, you know, play from Memphis, play over there with Stan Stamenkovic. Yeah. And Mike Stankovic. Mike Stankovic. Mike you know, what was interesting, I mean, Stan the man was unreal, but Mike Stankovic was playing, I don't know how we found him, but he was playing in Chicago in, a, in an amateur league. Correct. And it was like a diamond in the rough. And I mean, somebody brought him over here to play with Rosen. He was one of the top players. Help me historically with this, Tony and, and Hal. Um, Stankovic, did he play on the back line with Helmut Dudek? Where did he play with the Americans and then with, with, with the, I know with the blast, Dudek wasn't there, but what position did Mike play? Midfield. Uh, yeah. Mike, Mike was playing midfield defender. I mean, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah and Dudek yeah, was defender. Yeah, Dudek was. But, but uh, Mike Stankovic, he was playing with the Rose. He never played with the Americans. Okay. And then he went to play for Baltimore Blast for many, he, many, he was many years. He was very good. Yeah. But, but okay. I got to tell you, Stamankovic, he was like the Babe Ruth of soccer at that time. I mean, he, he might have a couple of pizzas before the game. Yeah. And <laughs> – he could have three guys on his back and just start Stan, doing stuff with that. He had like duct tape on his feet, Stan, man. Stan Stamenkovic, he born to play 
indoor. indoor You're right. Soccer. It was incredible. I mean, his talent, I mean, his vision for the game, I mean, his skill. It was tremendously for somebody who you look at it and say, this guy is 200 pounds, he cannot play soccer. Yeah. But you watch watching him play, practice games, amazing. Just don't amazing. follow his diet. But the other thing yeah. about the players, the, the outdoor at the Rogues, from a health standpoint, you know, we had – Jado Hasenbegovic, Yugoslavia. I mean, you go in the locker room at halftime, and they're over there <laughs> smoking about a pack of cigarettes in the locker room, man. I mean, it was it was no, the good old yeah, days. For his stand, for his stand, Samenko, nothing really matter. He can smoke, he can drink. I mean, he can eat pizza, but when the time comes to play in the game. Yeah, it was like Babe Ruth. I yeah, mean, you know, it's just was, unbelievable. He was ready. Yeah. That, that was a guy who was built to play in a sport with no offside rule. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, guys. Go ahead. You'll, you'll bring it back, I know. Don't now, worry about now it. Now, on a serious note, he passed away a few years ago. Is that right? Did we yeah, understand? Yeah, I, I hear it for a yeah. friend of mine from Memphis. He knows to somebody in Florida. Yeah, he was back home in that time, the old Yugoslavia, and he fell from the roof. Oh, you know. wow. Yeah. We've, we've lost several rogues. I mean, uh, John Faulkner, Bobby Thompson, Stetler was years ago. Tragic. Uh, everybody's getting old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah, I mean, Stan, Stan he plays Is that why you for, pulled us in here before we died? Is that why you wanted to do <laughs> Well, that's I, what we're going to call it. We're going to call it one last time with Tony <laughs> There we go. No, but the, 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 the team is right. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, Memphis America had three years, good memories. Yeah. It really helped soccer to grow, you know, because, uh, you know, we, we did a lot, of, a lot of soccer camps yeah. in the city. You know, people were excited. They were sucking when they got to bring the outdoor back. But, you know, I mean, now we have one. Well, you know, outdoor versus stuff. indoor. What Which do you prefer now? Outdoor. That's the real game. Yeah. Indoor, indoor for fun, more faster, a lot of score, but the real game is the outdoor. It, the, the, grass. the whole indoor preface was based on, uh, I mean, not only being the beautiful, most beautiful game there is, but you couldn't excite an American fan on a one to nothing game. Right. And also a sport to where uh, no timeouts and throw a ball at you and you can't touch it with your hands. Uh, they really couldn't get the concept of it until you actually go out there and do that for the first time. Right. Because we're all hand-eye coordinated sports, you know, basketball, baseball, football. You mean I can't throw it at the guy? No, no, you can't throw it, sir. You just have to kick That's it. Right. Oh, hell yeah, I'm going to kick it at him. How many points I get if I hit him? No, no, no. You got to hit Yeah. But, it, it you know, for the transformation of it, what's interesting is that my professional career with Fogelman and, and Wall Street, I, I got to – John Talley was one of my clients, and he was a, a broker at Morgan Keegan. And he had a vision – to build a soccer complex and he's passed away now, but uh, we went to Mike Rose and he gave us a lot of money to, to build Mike Rose. And then his son played on the national team, Kerry, and he's actually part of it now, but we had three or four players then that played yeah, for the national yeah, team. For like Memphis Fulo club, you know, you have played Kerry Telly, Richard Moroni, um, Ross Pauli, Johnny Walker, I probably will miss some others. You know, and they're the coach yeah. of the Memphis State. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, Richard that's, Moroni, that's like the fourth Memphis. generation from when I started. You they, know I mean? they play club. They went to play college, you know, and that's what team brought before generation tras generation because now you have Kerry Telly, Richard Moroni, you know, their kids, they play soccer. Yeah. And now you have, you know, all these kids who coach in the past. 
you know, now now they're coaching. They're coaching, they're coaching the like men kids. and women for Memphis yeah. State. Yeah. 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 You know, University See, of Memphis. Before in the seventies and the eighties, you know, had that. There was a lot of foreign players play in few Americans. But you know, I mean everything grow. Woman sport, woman soccer grow, you know. Hey, we get Cindy Barlow. I mean, yeah, one correct. of the greatest players of all time right, right here in Memphis. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Hal Downing, Tony Carbignani joining us on the podcast today. At what point did you get the coaching bug? When did you decide you wanted to, to coach? Well, uh, before I retired, I was thinking about what is going to be next, you know. Uh, when his rent was due. <laughs> <laughs> when when, when Bartolentina or stay here, you know, yeah, and start sure. to do something, you know, with with soccer and Richard Booth offered me you know if I wanted to coach you know use all my experience all my background you know with kids and I decided to start doing that tell them the truth Tony you were thinking now what am I going to do for a job and I can't speak English let me think about this for a second (laughs) (laughs) and your wife probably had something to do with you staying here too right yes I mean you know you know how women are you know (laughs) in that time you know I was you know dating her and I mean, one team brings the other one. Plus, uh, you know, feel comfortable if you're in Memphis. Sure. I already have, you know, And you have a friends. good name here, a very good name here. Too. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I build my name, you know, after years, after years, you know. And then I say, why go to go back home except visit family? But I decide to make Memphis my home. Can you tell us about, about obtaining your coaching licenses, what you had to do? I mean, you have such extensive experience. I know that there are paths to coaching for former professional players because of that not only the experience of being on the pitch but the training you've already received can you talk a bit about how that was for you yes you know well back when everybody stopped playing professional soccer you know a lot of former players decide you know to to start coaching and very much everybody said well i play pro i coaching you know but soccer grew so much in this country that the united states soccer federation started to get some license and rules and today if you don't have a license to coach you know youth soccer you can coach because very much every club in the United States are very organized by club director or club owners you need to have an A license B license C license or if you want to start coaching kids at a very younger age you know you can start to have the grassroots or get the, the D license I mean very much you know uh, before, like I say, you know, you can go over there and, and, and coach without, without license. But today, yeah. everything very much organized in very much professional way because you have kids who play youth club soccer. They need to play go to Europe or training over there, play over there, or play college, or play MLS. I mean, it's grow completely grow. And you're with Memphis Football Club now, correct? Yeah, at the moment I'm, you know, it's Memphis Football Club working on it. I still have a bit of a bone to pick with Tony. I played in the men's league out at the Micros Complex about, what, four years ago <laughs> against one of his boys' teams. <laughs> I spent more time picking the ball out of the net than I did catching it. And then, after being humiliated by Tony's team, then he has the guys come over and say, hey, look, see that guy over there? He was a weatherman on TV. Go get a selfie with him. So I just got vanquished, conquered, and then Tony sends the kids over there to take a selfie with the guy that they just kicked the crap out of. Thanks, Tony. Love you too, buddy. Oh, that's what's, you know, fun for us, you know. So, so at least, at least to get it. Play and compete 
again, people who just wanted to go like yourself to go over there and kick the ball around and have fun, you know? I told one of your guys, I, do you coach, is it the under-15s? What, what age bracket were you coaching maybe three, four years ago? 15, 16, 17, yeah. One of them took a really hard shot that I saved, and I told him that if you do it again, I'm going to ground you. <laughs> <laughs> I said, some of us have to go to work tomorrow, yeah, buddy. It was, it was getting personal for two. <laughs> just, a, just a little bit. Um, where is youth soccer today in the U.S. Uh, soccer landscape? Is it in a good place? Has it got a ways to go? What's your vision of where U.S. soccer should be in re- regards to developing talent? Yeah, at this moment, I mean, we are in really, really good standing. I think, on my opinion, uh, we only have in the whole United States four regions. For example, Memphis, Tennessee State is on Region 3. And when you take all the state teams to compete against other states uh, and go to, to Calusa, Alabama, and like I say, Tennessee is on Region 3, and you have 12 teams competing in that region. And wow. I think that's too many. To me, it will be like a, you can have a region separate the whole United States. Right. And you can have, you know, less state and more C or view on price quality. Because when you have 12 state things uh, come to Alabama, to Calusa, to, to do the region camp for a week, to select players from the region team, from the region go to national, it's too many players in a short period of time because soccer grows so much and now you need to have a little more how political how political can that get when you have so many teams and only so many places for kids to continue to grow in maybe the ODP or some other development does it become more political at that point when it's when it's so crowded with talent or 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 does it seem to weed itself out naturally yes and no Politi always will be there you know I mean you have coaches who want to have players in their own club, mm-hmm. on the regional team, to later on, you know, recruit for their own town. Right. I mean, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, majority of the coaches on the regional, they're working for clubs. And I make an example to me, if you bring coaches for Euro South America, just only to be in the camp for that week and recognize the best player, they will choose the best player. Right. They will not choose who play from Georgia, who play from Florida. I mean, you know, but, you know, we're here in America, and the coaches who are working for club, they're still working for regional, and try to pick always the best players. I, I've got know. a question for you as far as youth. Do they allow high school players to play on a club team in, in Memphis, Shelby County now? Well, in Tennessee, you have the rule, you know, when you play high school, you're not allowed to play club. I mean, but the kid, they can play club for 10 months of the whole year. Now, Mississippi has different rules. When you play club, you are allowed to play, you know, uh, high school. You know, I mean, So you we, can't we, play high school in Memphis and Shelby County and club at the same time? No. If you don't want to play high school, who you got to play club? Because oh, every, every kid in that age, 15, all the way up, then play high school. I mean, for two months, two months and a half, all the kids who play club competitive then play high school. Because, you know, Milroney and Tally, that was probably, what, 25 years ago when they were playing for the national team yeah. and stuff? And we really haven't had any players since then to go up to their level. And I've always wondered why. I mean, do, is it the club they get burnt out or 
are they playing other sports instead? Because they they were very successful, and we did. we haven't had anybody since Cindy Parlo, Kerry Talley, Richard Mulroney. Well, like I said before, you know, soccer in this country grows so much. You know, you have more competition, more players, more talents. You know, I mean, you know, plus generation changing. You know, but yeah, I mean, we have a good you know background history with some youth local players. You know, play play professional. Uh, I don't are know. you are I mean, you getting uh, are are there a, an, in the last few years the, the players you've coached are are they getting scholarships to the the Dukes and North Carolinas and Notre Dames of, yeah yeah they're still getting scholarship to go and play college Division One Division Two I mean sometimes they don't go to the biggest school because like I say you notice he slipped Notre Dame in there he, I knew there was going to be a Notre <laughs> Dame <laughs> before you used to have a hundred key play you know now you have. Thousand key play because right. uh, the player that introduced me to the game uh, in '72 was Randall Lay, and and Randall coached you know for I think yeah. he still does, yeah. but he was the very first amateur high school player to get a scholarship in Memphis to Western Carolina, which I didn't know they had a soccer team. <laughs> I mean, Kyle Rowe Jr. transferred from SMU to Swanee. Yeah. You know, now we still have a good quality of player coming up. A uh, uh, college soccer grow. Big in college because I remember when I saw. Well, look at they, CBU now. CBU soccer is pretty. Big. Yeah. Well, and the uh, other team every, is Houston. School. The Houston women's the girls. I mean, they, yeah. they were the number yeah. one team every, in the United every States. Every school, every school, every college grow. You know, soccer wise because NCAA decide one day to the next day. You know, they need to have woman program. When woman then was playing college in soccer, mm-hmm. you know. And look how grow so much. Then it win World Cup because you know for a moment you know the, the little girls they start to play club like little body was playing, right. and you see the result. I mean you know. Do you see a difference now with uh, Tim Howard? You know, helming um, Memphis nine hundred one FC. Big names like that coming from from Memphis. Do you see a, a, di- a difference now with the club teams that you're coaching and stuff with with Memphis FC? Well, you know, we we are a, a youth club, amateur club, you know. Right. The, the but in that one developmental team. stage, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Tim, he's make a good move here in Memphis because his kids live here and play here too, you know, and he he get involved, you know, with the professional team. I think that's, it was huge, you know, from, from Memphis. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, right now the only half – and I hope it can be like this for a long time. They only have the protein because it happens some places when they bring the protein, they start to recruit, you know, the kids for clubs to play for them and compete in different levels. Have you had conversations with, I mean, I know you've talked to the coach of 901 as far as if there's any players that that you've got coming up or, or in Memphis. Yeah, yeah. well, it's always, I know they've looked at some of your players. Yeah, they look, they look. You know, the best talent here in Memphis, hopefully, you know, in the future, we can see some players play for the Memphis, you know, 901. But, you know, eh, this was the first year for Memphis, you know, pro team. And sometimes it takes a while, you know, to build build, oh, yeah. sure. build a team, build a program, you know, attendance-wise, it's been great, Memphis being supported. And, and I think, you know, eventually, you know, two, three, four years from now, you know, things will be will be different, but uh, you know, I mean, how many clubs? For, how many club clubs are there in Memphis now? 
you don't like yours and well you have like what five clubs six clubs you know memphis you're still the biggest though yes i mean in the past used to be only few teams few clubs and they have more player play from those teams now they're very much you know spread out because that we said before we're still growing and we don't stop growing, believe me. And you're coaching Memphis Football Club. Uh, you're coaching at least one team. Are you, you coach a couple teams, I guess? I coach in the on the uh, 2006 boys. You know, that's the, on the 14, and I coach in the on the 18, 19 boys. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay, so yeah. so a good variety there. We mentioned just a moment ago that uh, you were out at 901 FC. In fact, you had a guitar smash one night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and let me ask you about this, Tony. Uh, just from just a pure emotional standpoint, uh, I thought that was great. I am so happy that they um, gave you the respect and homage for what you've meant to this city and respecting your professional career and coaching career. What does it mean to you to have something like that happen and also for people to remember, not not just when you were a player, because you still got a lot of gas in the tank as a coach, but to just show that appreciation of your time here you know, you've been to, you know, you're raised in Buenos Aires, you've been to Ecuador, to New York, but here in Memphis, um, how much how much people love you here? What does that mean to you? Well, when I step over to the field, you know, and I see so many people in the stadium, you know, I mean, they brought me some memories when I was yeah, playing. Flashbacks? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the only thing I can say to the people in Memphis, thank you, because, you know, I just was having some tears dropping from my eyes, but it was... I know we're expecting, but uh, later on, after that happened, I was in the stand, and I see people who I coached in the past, you know, who they brought the kid to the game. I mean, yeah. the old new generation are there, and I think, you know, the 901 just come in town in the right time, you know, for, for, for that. But yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I was with them that night, and I got to tell you, I mean, the crowd ovation uh, when you went on the field. As we walked around the stadium, even even after the game, as we're standing out in front, and people are leaving the stadium. I mean, he was like a rock star. I mean, it was just people coming up and the players that played for him, and then the parents of the yeah. players that played for him. Man, you're, hey, coach, you're, you're probably kid. you're probably <laughs> yeah, on your oh, third yeah. generation of, of yeah, players now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I I see I see players who I kind of not recognize because. They lost their head, they put some weight, <laughs> and then brought a the kid to take a picture and tell him yeah. they want my coach. Or, or, or your nickname, you know, yeah. his nickname that's, is Flacco. And I, I said, what is that? He said, well, Hal, that's Spanish for tall and thin. And he said, I said, well, what am I? He said, El Gordo. <laughs> Fuck. I went, I, I went from Flacco to El Gordo. I thought it was a Taco Bell. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I ordered that number too. <laughs> Andrew Bell, he invited me to go one day, you know, because I was going to watch the games, you know, if I wanted to play the guitar. And yeah. I said, you really want me to go over there and do that? So yeah, yeah, I think it would be great. My, coach, my kid, you know, was very, very supportive on that. And I said, yeah, I, I don't want to be embarrassing, but, you know, I got to get a guitar and smack it three times. <laughs> That's it. You know? That had to be. That has to feel really good to when yeah. when you feel that thing break in your head. You're like, bam, yes. Oh yeah, because I see some people. He really have a tough time to to break it. Yeah, and that's what's a real guitar. Yeah, I mean, some people say right. I mean, if that's what fake is, you know, that's what's a real yeah, guitar. Yeah, they're they're real guitar. It's a yeah. real guitar. I mean, you know, and, but yeah, it was it was a thrill I enjoy. Yeah. 
I really, really enjoyed. That's it. fantastic. Let's leave it at, at that. Uh, <laughs> Hal Downing, Tony Carbignani, it has been an absolute honor to have you in the, the podcast studio. Hal, thank you for your continued support of the podcast. Thank you for sharing some of your personal history with the Memphis Rogues and with Memphis Soccer. And I see you've brought some 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 collectibles. Yeah, I've got some, some, some parting gifts for you here from would, the from the from the museum. Would, would you <laughs> mind this you, would you mind if we took some pictures and posted that on our website oh, at my3subspodcast.com? Yeah. Sure. Tony, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Um and thanks so much for not just I know you're a family man, you have a legacy of your family, but the legacy of the players and the fans uh, who have appreciated you over the decades. Thanks for your continued work to grow the game of soccer. It's been an absolute honor to have you in here today. And Felice well, Navidad. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to everyone. And there you have it on the Hal Downing uh, Holiday Christmas Special or the carbon or the Tender Carbignani Christmas. We're not sure. El Gordo. <laughs> El Gordo versus Flacco. There we go. More next on My Three Subs, a soccer odyssey. I love talking soccer, but I also love talking about real estate, too. And, and people ask me about both a lot. And one of the big questions I get in real estate is, how's the housing market? The housing market looks great, and interest rates are near historical lows. And really, it all comes down to when is the time right for you. If you're ready to make your move, give me a call. Tim Van Horn at Cry Like Realtors. 901-756-8900 is my office number. Brody, can I give him my cell number? Oh, I can? Okay. 901-262-5000. That's my cell phone. You can also go to my website, timvanhorn.com. I can help you with your move around the block, around the city, around the state, and even around the world, too. I have a network of relocation certified agents just ready to help you. They are dying for your business, and I can put you in touch with those. All it takes is pick up the phone, give me a call. 901-756-8900. That's my office number. You can call me at my cell, 901-262-5000. Or just go online. Check me out at timvanhorn.com. That's timvanhorn.com with Cry Like Realtors. This is My Three Subs, a soccer odyssey. And we have added time to the podcast. Real quickly, not much added time because it is the holiday week. We want to wish everybody, of course, a happy Hanukkah, yes. a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and we wish you all the best. We thank you so much. We're got Festivus. Got Festivus for the rest of us, of course, just happened. We want to thank that, you know, thank everybody for their support and wish you the best this holiday season. I want to thank you, Brody. Thank uh, you. It has been a fun, fun time yeah. getting this podcast underway. I want to thank my aunt in Lincoln who sent me a, a Lincoln City scarf. We'll have to <laughs> we'll have to post that online. They're in League One in English, yeah. in English soccer. And then uh, also we got something for you here too, oh, as well, this. Brody. Gibbs, oh, you got to open know. that right yeah, now. Uh, hang on, hang on. Hey, my aunt sent that over from England. It was in the clearance bin. <laughs> oh, please tell me it's. A... Oh wow, it's Emirates Stadium. This is so cool. <laughs> I don't know that Arsenal bus is on fire. It, <laughs> notice a, needs to be on fire. Notice the disclaimer says eleven players are missing. <laughs> Mer- that's fitting. Dude, that's so awesome. Have fun with that. Uh, Merry Christmas to you, Brody. Merry and, Christmas, and buddy. And we'll see you around uh, on the bend uh, because coming up on next episode, we've got former two-time MLS All-Star and Creighton University women's head soccer coach Ross Pauley. Man, look at that. Look at those guys go. Who's who, baby? We're excited, and we hope that you have a great rest of the week, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, by the way, to easeofapproval.com, and thanks to Financial Wealth Services for their support. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you around next time. Another hottie toddy for 10, please. <laughs> There's the whistle.
Thank you for listening. Check out more of my three subs podcast, A Soccer Odyssey, at 1019kissfm.com and on the iHeartRadio app. The watchers have observed. The council has convened. The gathering of geeks converges. And they're set to discuss everything happening in the geekdom. Tank locked loaded. Get the latest on everything in the Geek Universe with the Geek Patrol. The Geek Patrol is on Geek Tank Radio. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. This is a KISS original. Only on 1019KISSFM.com.